are listening to the Vaquita Chronicles, the podcast that allows you to follow the journey of the Vaquita through its extinction crisis. My name is Matt Podolsky, and I've been working with fellow filmmaker Sean Bogle to tell the story behind the dramatic decline of the Vaquita for more than three years. If you haven't already, you can check out our short film, Souls of the Vermilion Sea, available now on Amazon Prime. You can also learn more about our ongoing media campaign, which includes a forthcoming feature-length film about the Vaquita at vaquitafilm.com. If you're just tuning into the show for the first time and you have no idea what a Vaquita is, you should go back right now and listen to our first episode, which answers this question in great detail. This week, we'll be talking about a few of the many ongoing efforts intended to prevent the extinction of the Vaquita. Although the situation faced by the Vaquita is quite dire, there are lots of organizations and individuals that are committed to doing all they can to prevent the Vaquita's extinction. This effort is actually quite impressive when taken in as a whole. In this episode, we will summarize and discuss many of these efforts, then analyze why the Vaquita population has continued its rapid decline despite these many programs designed to save the species. Scientific research is the first thing I will mention, because without scientific data collection, we would know nothing about the vaquita and therefore be unable to take any action to save the species. The ongoing research effort associated with the vaquita has been critical to understanding both the rate of the vaquita's decline and the causal factors behind that decline. There have been three large-scale visual survey efforts conducted, all of them designed to provide population estimates for the species. These occurred in 1997, 2008, and 2015. These surveys documented the decline of the vaquita population from just under 600 individuals in 1997 to only 60 animals in 2015. These visual surveys are extremely expensive and time-consuming, and scientists knew early on in the recovery effort that a more efficient technique for estimating population size was needed. This need led to the development of the Remote Acoustic Monitoring Program, which uses remote acoustic detectors, or hydrophones, placed throughout the vaquita's range. These hydrophones are designed to record the high-frequency sonar clicks emitted by the vaquita, which can then be analyzed to make accurate estimates of abundance. It's important to note that these are estimates, not concrete numbers, but this technique has proven to be extremely valuable to the vaquita conservation effort. In fact, without this ability to estimate population size on a yearly basis, it almost certainly would have taken much longer for vaquita advocates to recognize the negative impact of the illegal tatuaba fishery. If it had taken an additional few years to recognize the enormous role of this illegal tatuaba fishery in the vaquita's decline, conservation efforts would have been stalled, and it's possible that the vaquita would already be extinct. So the importance of the remote acoustic monitoring program cannot be overstated. Without this program, all other conservation efforts for the species would be working in the dark. It's also important to note that there is a group of local fishermen who have been assisting with the remote acoustic monitoring program for many years. This is important for several reasons. First, because it provides the direct assistance that is needed to implement the program. Fishermen are hired to both place these acoustic detection devices in the waters of the Gulf of California and to periodically retrieve these devices to access the data that they have been collecting. This is not easy work, and it's a huge benefit to the program that they are able to work with people who are intimately familiar with the local marine environment. 
The second reason that this is so important, however, is the message that this sends to other members of the community. These fishermen who have opted to participate in the acoustic monitoring program for Vaquita are showing their fellow community members that it is possible to opt out of the illegal Tatuaba fishery and stand up for what is right. The remote acoustic monitoring program is not the only way that local fishermen are getting involved in Vaquita conservation, however. The ghost net removal program also relies on participation from within the community, and this program is also having a significant impact on the Vaquita issue. The program is designed to remove gill nets from the water. Some of these nets have been abandoned in the Gulf, hence ghost net, but many are recently set illegal gill nets. The scale of this program has increased dramatically over the past five years, and it now includes numerous partners, including Museo de la Baena, the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, World Wildlife Fund, and several local fishing cooperatives. Here's how it works. Fishermen drive transects in their small pangas while dragging a specially designed hook, which latches onto any gill nets hidden below the water. When a gill net is found, the fishermen to that net, and one of the large boats operated by either Museo de la Baena or Sea Shepherd comes along to remove the net. Ghost nets that have been hidden underwater and abandoned often contain the bodies of long-dead marine life, but recently set Tatuaba gill nets are often found as well and sometimes contain living animals. To date, close to 1,000 illegal gill nets have been removed from Vaquita habitat, and the scale of the effort has reached a point at which it is having a significant financial effect on illegal Tatuaba fishermen. Tatuaba gill nets are expensive, and undercover research conducted by Elephant Action League, which will be discussed in detail later on in this episode, has shown that some Tatuaba fishermen are actually going into debt because so many of their Tatuaba nets have been removed by Sea Shepherd and Museo de la Baena. Without this effort, there's a chance that the vaquita would already be extinct. At its heart, the vaquita issue is an economic issue. Fishermen continue to use gill nets because they feel like they have no other means to earn a living. The importance of providing alternative livelihoods has been recognized for a long time. In 2008, the Mexican government offered buyouts to local fishermen and also began testing alternative vaquita-friendly fishing gear. Although only a few fishermen took the buyout, there are some success stories from community members who have started profitable businesses using the buyout money. The alternative fishing gear program held great potential to turn the situation around and save the vaquita, but unfortunately it is widely believed to have been sabotaged by corrupt, by corrupt officials within the government agencies responsible for managing fisheries. Fishermen who opted to participate in the alternative gear testing have been fighting to get their permits to actually use this gear on a commercial scale for years, with no success. So although this program held great promise, it appears to have been stymied by government corruption. Despite this, limited testing of alternative gear does continue, with funding provided by the World Wildlife Fund and others. Unfortunately, it seems unlikely at this stage that any of these alternative fishing gear programs will be implemented on a large enough scale and within the very limited time frame that would allow them to have a positive impact on the vaquita. There is one organization that has been involved in addressing the vaquita issue from a socioeconomic perspective for many years, the Intercultural Center for the Study of Deserts and Oceans, CEDO for short. 
Sedo has actually hired anthropologists to go out into these communities with the goal of finding innovative ways to shift the social and cultural perspectives associated with this issue. These anthropologists attend fishing cooperative meetings and try to embed themselves within the fishing community with the goal of developing a deeper understanding of the social and economic perspectives that are driving people to participate in illegal fishing. The work that these Sado representatives are doing is invaluable, and it highlights something that is often lacking in conservation efforts and endangered species recovery programs. Humans are always at the center of these issues, and to create lasting change, it's critical to address the human problems that are driving the environmental problems. It's sad to say that it seems unlikely that Sado's efforts on this issue will prevent the extinction of the vaquita, but they are severely restricted by available funding. If they had more time and more resources available to them, they would have a serious shot at not just saving the vaquita, but at transforming the communities of the upper gulf in a hugely positive way. Two organizations, the Elephant Action League and the Environmental Investigation Agency, have conducted cover investigations into the illegal trade in Tatuava swim bladders. These investigations provide crucial information to law enforcement agencies, theoretically allowing these agencies to take action to shut down these illegal supply chains. Our Wildlands crew has been in close communication with representatives from both of these organizations since they began looking into the trade in Tatuaba swim bladders, and they have uncovered some fascinating information. These investigations showed the public the role that the Mexican drug cartels are playing in this supply chain, as well as the role of organized crime in China. Specific information about individuals involved in this illegal trade has at this point been shared with law enforcement authorities in Mexico, the U.S., and China. While it's impossible to know what role this information has had in ongoing law enforcement efforts related to Tatuaba trafficking, there was a significant arrest made soon after Elephant Action League released their investigation report. The individual widely believed to be the kingpin of the Tatuaba trafficking ring in San Felipe, Mexico, Oscar Para was arrested just a few weeks ago. Oscar Para was already being sought after by Mexican authorities before the release of Elephant Action League's report for the murder of a Mexican Navy officer. But it's possible that this report provided key information, or that it just added to the pressure on law enforcement authorities to take action on this issue. Although Oscar Para currently sits in jail awaiting trial, our contacts in San Felipe tell us that everything is business as usual in the upper gulf. Oscar's brother almost immediately stepped in to take over control of the Tatuaba cartel, and the illegal supply chain for Tatuaba swim bladders has remained intact. So it seems unlikely that this high-profile arrest will have any significant impact on the vaquita. Although it's difficult to imagine Mexican law enforcement agencies doing anything comprehensive to thwart the illegal supply chain for Tatuaba swim bladders due to rampant and widespread corruption, there is an opportunity for Chinese law enforcement agencies to take action. Almost all of the Tatuaba swim bladders entering China go through the port of Hong Kong because the likelihood of imported products being inspected is so low. Were this issue to be made a priority, it's possible that this supply chain could be interrupted. Unfortunately, the likelihood of this happening appears to be quite low. Swim bladders from many different species of fish are imported to China via Hong Kong in extraordinary quantities. Fish maw, as this product is commonly referred to, is extremely common throughout China. It's used for a variety of medicinal purposes and as a thickener in soups. 
The vast majority of fish maw imported to China is perfectly legal, and inspectors would need to be trained to identify the swim bladders of tetuaba from those of other species of fish. The vaquita high-profile attempt to prevent the vaquita's extinction. In the fall of 2017, over 60 marine mammal experts were involved in the approximately two-month-long program designed to bring the vaquita into a, captive, into a captive environment. The stated goal of this program was to capture as many vaquita as possible, up to 15 animals, which was the best estimate of the population size at that time. It was known from the beginning, however, that the chances of successfully capturing all 15 vaquitas was quite low. Sadly, this program ended with everyone's worst nightmare, the death of a captured vaquita. The capture effort was shut down soon after the death of this animal based on the assumption that this species simply can't handle life in captivity. Is this an accurate assumption, however? The Yangtze finless porpoise, a freshwater subspecies of the narrow-ridged finless porpoise, which is also facing severe population declines, with approximately 1,000 remaining in the wild, was first brought into captivity in the 1990s. This was one of several examples of porpoise species brought into a captive environment that vaquita experts were looking at while planning for the vaquita capture effort. This example is interesting because close to half of the Yangtze finless porpoises that were captured did not survive the transition to captivity, which means that the other half did survive and were successfully integrated into a captive environment. So do we know for certain that the vaquita is simply unable to survive in captivity as a species? Since only two vaquitas were successfully captured, I would argue that we don't have a large enough sample size to confidently answer this question. It seems possible to me that certain individuals from the vaquita population could survive in captivity, while other individuals simply can't handle the transition, just like the vaquita's close cousin, the Yangtze finless porpoise. So should the capture effort have continued despite the high risk of accidentally killing another vaquita? There is no easy answer to this question. Something that we have noticed here at Wildlands on many of the conservation projects that we've been involved with is a lack of cohesiveness and collaboration amongst different groups working on the same conservation issue. While there have certainly been some really fantastic and beneficial collaborative efforts implemented to help address the vaquita issue, there have also been some troubling and counterproductive disagreements. The most fruitful collaborations have been between NGOs and the local community. Many of the organizations involved in vaquita conservation recognized right away the importance of establishing strong collaborative relationships with community members, and this has led to groups of local fishermen working closely with the World Wildlife Fund, Museo de la Baena, Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, CEDO, and others. Without these partnerships, the situation would undeniably be worse. Where collaborative relationships have been lacking is at the intersection between these different approaches that I've laid out towards solving the problem. This is not to say that collaboration is non-existent. Most key players in the Vaquita issue seem to be aware of what others are doing, but there is no cohesiveness in these various approaches. Often Sean and myself have been put in the situation of connecting various players and sharing updates about the efforts of other organizations. The closest thing to a central group focused on vaquita conservation is the International Committee for the Recovery of the Vaquita, CERVA for short, which makes recommendations to the Mexican government for conservation actions to protect the vaquita. 
But this group is mainly focused on scientific research, and although they recognize the importance of social science and economics, their recommendations don't always reflect the importance of these alternative approaches towards addressing the issue. The reality is that there are many things that need to happen to save the vaquita. They all need to happen in a coordinated fashion, and they all need to have been implemented yesterday. Just about every organization and individual involved in the issue would agree with this statement, and I think there would be a willingness for everyone to work together in a coordinated fashion if it wasn't for one looming obstacle. The complicated relationship between Mexico's drug cartels and the Mexican government. The one area where a lack of collaboration and cohesion is having the most dramatic negative effect is within the Mexican government itself. We know that there are honest players within the government who desperately want to take meaningful action to save the vaquita, but we also know that there are high-level government officials getting paid off by the cartels to undermine conservation efforts and protect the illegal Tatuaba fishery. This qualifies as something more significant than a simple lack of cohesion, to be honest. It's a war that has been going on within Mexico's government for decades. Now, in addition to illegal drug trafficking, this war involves wildlife crime and the looming extinction of Mexico's only endemic marine mammal. that concludes this week's episode of the vaquita chronicles to learn more about the vaquita and our campaign you can visit vaquitafilm.com you can also check out our short documentary film souls of the vermilion sea streaming on amazon prime the vaquita chronicles is a production of the wild lens collective this episode of the show was produced by myself your host matt podolsky our theme music comes from moby (laughs) 